Hello everyone, I am Christian Spanish-Schmidt. I'm a physician and I work as an academic hospitalist at Danbury Hospital, Connecticut, where I am the program director for the point of care ultrasound for internal medicine. You are listening to the Danbury Medical Files. This podcast is dedicated to the entire medical community. Welcome again to the Danbury Medical Files. The Danbury Medical Files is a podcast for general guidance and entertainment. It is not for medical advice. And if you need medical advice, please get in touch with your physician or go to the nearest emergency department. So today we're going to talk about the topic of is it safe to perform a long ultrasound? So is it safe? And we're going to try to figure out some questions regarding safety. Uh, the first thing is who can perform a long ultrasound? Who should perform a long ultrasound? Should be a pulmonologist? Should be a cardiologist? Should be a radiologist? Should be a nurse? What about an EMT? What about an internist? What about a patient? So who can actually perform a long ultrasound safely? Welcome to the Danbury Medical Files, a production by Christian Espana Schmidt, MD. So long ultrasound until the seminal papers from Liechtenstein and then Volpicelli and then many others was thought not to be feasible or for any of, of any use. So how ridiculous was to try to do ultrasound in a cavity that is filled with air and air just don't let um, ultrasound waves to go through it. So it's a horrible ultrasound media if you think about it. Anyway, it was done. So the truth is that it was done because or, or out of frustration from Liechtenstein because of the dismay performance of chest X-ray and auscultation in critically ill patients. One good day, he took the ultrasound machine and voila, he was certain about the presence of pleural diffusion. And not just that, he was able to take a picture and share it with the other physicians. Suddenly, he also discovered A-lines, a normal artifact, and B-lines, an abnormal artifact. He noticed that the B-lines were present in patients who had any type of pulmonary edema. Suddenly, he was able to see consolidations, and his observations, when published and presented, were met with criticism and skepticism. It was too late. At that time, he had revolutionized the evaluation of the lungs. Being ultrasound portable, the patients didn't need to go to the CT scanner and medical diagnosis could be done with very good accuracy at the bedside. As long as you knew what you were looking for, you could make a diagnosis at the bedside even before the chest X-ray came or the CT scan was done. In Japan, for example, this has been taken to another level and there are hospitals where chest X-ray are not longer used in the evaluation of the lungs of children. Instead, long ultrasound has taken over. What a long ultrasound can tell us, that's, that's a question, 
If we find A lines in all areas in the right setting, remember, this is the point of care ultrasound and you need to make the diagnosis or interpret at the bedside, A lines basically rule out the presence of pulmonary edema of any etiology. Also, A lines with um, normal pleural sliding will tell us that the lung is normal. A profile, which is what we call when people has A lines everywhere, will rule out interstitial lung disease. How often? Very much often. Like all the time. So if the patient only has A lines in its lung ultrasound and the lung ultrasound is done methodically, it's very difficult that this patient will present pulmonary edema, ARDS, or any type of generalized fibrosis. So what about an abnormal ultrasound? B lines can be or can mean many things, and the context is key. B lines are artifact, just as A lines. A lines are artifacts. This type of artifacts are called reverberation artifacts. For the sake of brevity, A lines are mirror images of the pleura that occur at equidistant points from the transducer and the pleura through the field of vision of the ultrasound. So what happens is that the ultrasound goes back and forth between the pleura, so the ultrasound cannot go through the pleura. The pleura acts like a highly refracted uh, membrane and sends back the ultrasound wave, and then the computer of the ultrasound interprets that there are many different pleuras in an equidistant that that are equidistant through the long field. And that is what we call A lines. B lines have the aspect of comet tails. Comet tails or rocket tails or laser beams, whatever. These B lines are also artifacts of reverberation. In this case, they reverberate, the reverberation occurs in the intracapillary or in the capillary and interstitial space, and that causes a rocket tail that essentially erases the A-lines, takes over the whole field of vision of the probe, and moves with the respiration, so they are dynamic. The presence of B-lines may mean the presence of water in the lungs, so that can be the cause for reverberation. The edema is located, as again, in the intraveolar uh, septa and in any type of pulmonary edema, cardiogenic or non-cardiogenic. Usually, B-lines are secondary to pulmonary edema, and in this case, the pleura has no abnormalities. So when you look at the pleura, you will look a nice pleura that is sliding, with the B-line. Usually when the B-lines are associated to a significant amount of fluid overload, you will see pleural effusions and you will see other signs of heart failure. In ARDS, for example, pleural effusion may be absent. Then there are B-lines that are very thick and have an abnormal pleura. This can be secondary to consolidations, fibrosis, pulmonary infarcts. So it depends on the type of B-lines. When I do a visual companion for all this podcast, I will make sure that I put all the examples there. 
the patterns of the bead lines, the symptoms of the patients, and the physical examination will give us what the patient has. There are other patterns such as the C pattern or consolidation pattern. It can be seen in pneumonia and atelectasis. We can see what we call hepatization. Yes, hepatization, a term that was used before in after autopsies. And what we see is basically the lung turning dense or in its echo density turning like the liver. And this is called hepatization. Usually, look, we see it in pneumonias and in atelectasis. We can see air bronchogram and different types of it. In atelectasis, we will usually see air bronchogram that is not dynamic, and in pneumonias, we can see dynamic air bronchogram. And yes, of course, we can see the pleura, its movement, the presence of disease like pleural effusion, and in fact, we can diagnose pneumothorax with a very good certainty. So now, this is just a summary of the many artifacts that we can see. I have not talked about long point. I have not talked about long pulse. I have not talked about many other things that we can see. But now the question for this time is who can perform long ultrasound? And that's an interesting question because in an article by Picano et al., they compare echocardiogram and long ultrasound and they Stated, and it's funny the way that it stated this, right? Like obtaining an echocardiogram is like university level and obtaining an ultrasound is like kindergarten level. And the same thing for its interpretation. Like interpreting an echocardiogram is university level and interpreting um, long ultrasound is kindergarten. So they already start out, these cardiologists, with saying that the long ultrasound is kind of an easy skill. The article is plenty, pretty good at explaining V-lines in pulmonary edema from stress V-lines to full-blown uh, pulmonary edema. So I'm, I'm going to place it in the, um, in the introduction in this uh, podcast. So can the cardiologist perform an, a uh, long ultrasound? For sure. Yeah, actually they should. Um, what about the pulmonologist? Well, they have invented this. And actually, they have the courses for this. And they now are getting certifi certified during fellowship for this. So yes, a pulmonologist should be performing point-of-care ultrasound of the lungs when lung disease or pathology is uh, suspected. So what about nurses? In 2016, an article showed how nurses were good at obtaining long ultrasound and paired with BNP, that was very good to evaluate pulmonary edema. So nurses can obtain long ultrasound. What about the EMTs? So the EMTs have been using long ultrasound, especially in war zones, to evaluate for different pathologies of the lung and also they have been using the FAST protocol for a long time. So EMTs can definitely use ultrasound when trained. What about patients? 
there are a few case reports in the COVID era where when they gave transducers to patients or ultra-portable ultra machines to patients, and the patients were able to obtain 86% to 90% times images that were good enough for evaluation. And so the patients themselves were able to do point-of-care ultrasound of the lungs. What about the medical students? Lim et al. in 2017 demonstrated that medical students are able to obtain lung ultrasound without any problem after limited training. And for how long was this training? Actually, 25 minutes. So you, you train them for 25 minutes and they can obtain the lung ultrasound that you need. Now, many schools are already teaching ultrasound to the students. In fact, this year, at the beginning of the year, I volunteered to conduct or to lead the point-of-care ultrasound bootcamp for our students. It was very interesting and very nice activity. And actually, I use one of my chief residents and one of my senior residents to help us in, in teaching the students. I will tell you, the residents did great in, in teaching and going through different ultrasound techniques that the students need to learn. So what about a hospitalist? Can an internist obtain a long ultrasound? And in 2019, I wrote an article in how we were using uh, long ultrasound during COVID-19. Basically, we long ultrasound everyone. Everyone that we had with COVID-19. And the idea was to evaluate the disease, the finding. We compare the findings also through with auscultation, and we figure out that auscultation was basically useless, except when we found wheezing. The idea also was to figure out what's the, what was the volume status of the patient. So, so we can use a long ultrasound uh, as, as, as internists and as hospitalists. However, a few studies reveal that hospitalists are not using a long ultrasound, likely because of the lack of experience, training, and of course, equipment. And there is another thing that when the hospitalist has too many patients, they will be less likely to use an ultrasound to aid in any way their diagnosis and management. Now, picture this. Remember the last time when I told you that the intern or the student usually go to examine the patient's lungs at 6 a.m. and then we need to trust them what they say and then we need to go again and, and put our uh, our stethoscope where they say that they hear whatever they hear and we need to evaluate if this is true or not and and remember um sometimes crackles can be erased by a little bit of cough so whatever they they, they hear might not be what the patient is having but what what about if now instead of just presenting their auscultation findings they come with a methodic eight uh zone ultrasound, frontal zone ultrasound, like Volpicelli et al. in 2012, they take four seconds videos of each zone. Then you have a teaching opportunity. You can use that while you are teaching or while you're rounding and see the images for each patient. You can also have it in the cloud if you already have a cloud-based um, 
ultrasound system and review it later. Also, if you are using a specific protocol, like we use the eight zones, and you're following a patient with pulmonary edema, you can actually see dynamic changes in the pulmonary edema of this patient and how the pulmonary edema improves. We can give also timely feedback to the intern or student who is obtaining the ultrasound, which is kind of difficult to do with the use of stethoscope. I try my best, but I feel like it's difficult. This way, everyone learns. The tending, by the way, will need to have his game up. So it's not like now you are being presented with images that were taken and they were labeled by the student or your resident in the protocol that you prefer to use. And um, now you have also the auscultation findings that I hope everyone is still checking the, the, with, with the stethoscope. And now you have kind of evidence of what happened during that physical examination. The whole um, long examination with eight frontal zones with a trained resident or student should take no more than two minutes. So you place your probe, you take four seconds clip, then you place your probe again, four seconds clip, you take your probe again, four seconds clip, and so so on. So unless you find a gross abnormality, the physical examination of the lungs should take a couple of minutes. And when in, in advanced people, they can also take a look at the heart and the central vessels and whatever else needs to be done. How do I use it? So I use point-of-care ultrasound in many instances. The first one, evaluation of dyspnea. I also, in the floors, um, when I'm on the, on the floors, I check for improvement of pulmonary edema of any cause. I also check it for improvement uh, of, I, I look for pneumonia and atelectasis. And after starting BiPAP on patients, when I find C-pattern, I can also use it to actually demonstrate that there is recruitment of the lung. I use it to look for pleural effusion. I also look to see um, the evolution of pneumonia and, of course, improvement of patients who are in respiratory distress because of COVID-19. And that's the main thing I use a point-of-care ultrasound for. Of course, I use point-of-care ultrasound every day teaching. Sometimes I will see a lot of patients who are normal, but it's a, we or anyway, we auscultate all the patients regardless they are normal or not. Should the clinicians only use uh, LUS to make decisions? Well, probably not. Unless you have a classic patient who has pneumonia and you put the probe and you demonstrate that there is a consolidation, there is C pattern, patient has everything, well, you, you have your, your, your answer. In other cases, it's better if the physician can also evaluate 
the heart, the girl's heart function, central vessels, better if they know vexus, which we are going to talk at some point, and take as much information as we can. Now, once you have the diagnosis of pulmonary edema, and what you are doing is following the beelines and following the pleural effusions and following and, and following edema, long ultrasound is pretty good. You don't need to repeat the heart ultrasound and the central vessels ultrasound all the time. During COVID, the patients who improved in the sonogram were the patients that we send without oxygen. And I have a few patients that we documented and um, their, their ultrasounds basically went to normal. And not normal, but improvement, a great improvement. And then these patients were discharged without any oxygen. Why is it so important then? Well, ultrasound is cheap and safe. You, for long ultrasound, you don't need a high-end machine. Butterfly will do just fine. Even if you have this old M, M turbos from Sonocyte, they will do just fine. Just put them in abdominal setting. In the right setting, when you have all the pieces together, long ultrasound will outperform a substandard chest X-ray almost all the time. So again, is it safe? Well, so far, the evidence show it is safe. And it's already been implemented in some areas in the world inside into the echocardiogram. There is very little room for not using long ultrasound in an intensive care unit. At the end, long ultrasound is the easiest and safest way to start teaching and learning ultrasound. This is the ultrasound that after you do a 30-minute, 40-minute tutorial downstairs in the sim lab or with a patient who volunteers for that, your residents will be able to perform again and again and consistently. Results are way better than chest X-ray alone. And the good thing of a long ultrasound is you can put four second uh, clips in your machine or in your cloud service and recheck and see if what they are seeing is correct and give again time feedback. So what about an outpatient setting? I am an inpatient doctor, but there are many ways to use this in outpatient. One is checking for pneumonia. Have you ever figured out uh, or have that patient who has some shortness of breath, dyspnea, maybe dyspnea on exertion, even when they are doing isometric um, exercises, and you don't know what is going on? So there is something that is called stress B lines that we are going to cover in the next chapter. And, and there is a cascade for the presence of pulmonary edema secondary to the heart. So B lines with exertion. Now you know that that exists. And with this, I want to say thank you for listening to the Denver Medical Files. Please follow us on Twitter at Dan Medical Files. Please subscribe in any of the platforms that you use to download and hear your favorite podcast. Please leave a review in any of your podcast app. I am Christian Spine and this has been Denver Medical Files. Thank you and thank you again for being here.